Hello and welcome to Cybertech Talks, a podcast where we bring cybersecurity experts together for a conversation. This episode, we're pleased to welcome John Lodge, SOC Manager at Sakura, Ramesh Naidu, Chief Operating Officer at Vigilant Asia, and Sean Lin, Senior Security Operations Analyst at Sakura. This episode is all about the role of AI and large language models in cybersecurity. John, Ramesh and Sean discuss how security operation centers might leverage AI in the coming years and how large language models could be used within the security tools themselves. They also talk about how it might be used for deception and the ways in which threat actors might leverage LLMs. There are plenty of interesting use cases discussed throughout. What might the future of phishing look like with this technology? These are all points covered in our episode. We hope you enjoy. I wanted to talk about this because I've been thinking about how I can start to use AI um, in the SOC. And from my perspective, I'm thinking about how we can use it um, in like a, a processes and playbooks kind of way, rather than, you know, in, in, you know, in the tools, like in the endpoint tools, they, we're already using machine learning and AI to, to detect malicious activity and things like that. But from my point of view, I'm thinking, how can we use it to help the, uh, the analysts? How can we speed up? Um, triage and how can we improve you know our, our time to response and, and, and all things like that so that's kind of uh, the position that I was, I was looking to approach this from I'm not sure uh, Ramesh I don't know if, how much you've thought about this already or are you even already using it or have you started kind of testing it or is it something that, you, that you're kind of already using so um, as part of our automation uh, implementation um, there is a function that allows uh, LLM within SOAR today. So it helps yep. L1 analysts uh, to just have a second opinion in most cases to during investigation and triage. Uh, probably during, uh, I would also say, uh, threat hunting. It's used at, during that point. But of yep. course, we have to put controls of, uh, you know, when, when you're using chat or LLM uh, to make sure that there is no confidential information that you, that you that yeah we don't know where the data ends up end of the day yeah yeah that was my first concern when when this started to come available is immediately we're like okay how do we use this and then straight away it was like when when I went to test it I realized wait a minute there's a potential here that we're pushing customer data out into the cloud there and you don't know is it being trained on for one thing um, or is it being stored securely? So, so straight away that was a concern, and then so on. So then I started thinking about okay, what are all the concerns around this before we start even thinking about like how do we use it effectively? Um, so the other concern, so the first concern was the, the the security of the customer data potentially. The second one was you know hallucinations. Um, if if the analysts start to just trust the output of these requests, you know. Um, especially at this early stage when people are just uh, asking non-tuned or you know not fine-tuned. These are base models, and you know they've been yes they've been trained on um, as a large language model, so they can understand the the language and they can understand the request. But it's like asking somebody who isn't trained in cyber. It's like yes, they'll understand your question. They might give you an answer, but it might not be the right one. So uh, so that was kind of the second concern there is. After after the, um, the security of the data is the accuracy of the, of the responses, I guess. Yes, the the out the outcome from the answers you get from the queries is not always accurate. 
we see that. So, yeah. so at this moment of time, I think it's more of a guide that can help analysts to for them to do deeper research. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's great. It is great as a guide, isn't it? And as a, a prompt or. But, but yeah, I would be very careful about trusting it at the moment. I mean, Sean, I don't know if you've. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking from day to day experience, I think if you think of ChatGPT, yeah, ChatGPT, take that for an example. Certainly, the the free or or uh, yeah, free to access version is only taking data up to I think it's twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. And as an analyst, if, if you're interested in a vulnerability or a CVE that's come out in the past couple of months and you ask questions of that LLM, uh, for the most part, it will give you some generic you know, behavioral or you could do this, the threat hunt or look for this activity. But for the specifics of that CVE or exploit, it wasn't there during 2021. So, you know, there, there is still that gap there. And I think as John was, was saying, it's, it's a trust thing as well. Analysts and any security professionals have a lot of trust in their tools, but that only goes so far. And I think that kind of leans into the other topic of will AI and LLM always or, or, or become the replacement of SOC analysts? And I don't think that will ever happen because there's always going to need to be that additional human element of, you know, you trust that tool, but only so far. So once you've got all of that information and use those tools to, to fill those gaps, uh, you then need to bring it all together and do that additional analysis just to, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I can't see, at least in the short term, these um, agents kind of replacing analysts, but I can see these agents kind of acting like first-line analysts. So essentially, current current first-line analysts would almost become second-line analysts where they are taking the output of these agents, like say, not trusting them, but it's going to speed up all of that collection of, of the information and putting it into something that makes more sense and even probably a, a, a good suggestion of, of what the response should be. So, so kind of bumping all these first-line analysts up to up to a second line where they're supervising these agents, you know. I mean, I, I guess it's not that far removed from what happens already where the first-line um, analyst is taking the, the, the output of the tools, you know. It's just that that tool is going to have that extra layer of intelligence kind of wrapped around it. I think that's, that's how I see it happening there. Yeah, and, yeah. A, and again, for, for context from an analyst's point of view, one of the things that I regularly do is I take obfuscated or encoded scripts. I'll put that into the likes of ChatGPT or Bard, and I'll say, you know, make, make sense of this for me. But for the most part, I'll have a general understanding of what it's doing, but some of them can be quite sophisticated. You know, if we're talking about APT groups, you know, dishing out malware and there's, there's, there's scripts in the background, uh, some of them, some, some of these LLMs will be able to break it apart bullet point by bullet point and say this, this line of script is doing this and that's fantastic. But then what do you do with that information? You know, you, you now know what that script's doing. Cool. And if you're in a threat hunting situation, it's what you do with that knowledge. You know, at the end of the day, it's spitting out a load of knowledge. But if you don't know how to utilize that and take the next step, it's useless. You know, it's, it's just more text in front of you. Yeah, you still need the human yeah. Yeah. But it's a tool, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Sean, with those information that uh, you get out of uh, ChatGPT or LLM, you can use it. I feel another good use case is creating detection rules. Um, you know, whether detection rules in SIEM or whether we're going to create a new Yara rule for EDR. Yes. Uh, we, we noticed that that's a challenge today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, preparing the right detection rule. Uh, 
to detect the right stuff. So I think um, it may help engineering teams to to you know create good rules rules. Absolutely. And 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 another another problem is for MSSPs. Uh, you may have uh, issues with having multiple tools or multiple SIMs, for example. And detection rules for different SIMs, you have to write it differently and it becomes a challenge. It takes a long time to create those. So I think uh, using LLM may shorten the time in getting the right detection rule sets, you know. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and them in place. It, yeah. it's something that our, our security lead or lead engineer is working on at the moment is as you say, if, if you're an MSSP, you've got multiple different customers from, from do- multiple different industries, and they have all different types of technology within their tech stack. You know, their firewalls might be Cisco, Meraki, um, F5, you know, any of these big vendors. But, uh, you know, they all have their own unique selling points. They might all be coded in the back end through different languages, coding languages. Um, so it's not just as simple as plug and playing your, your threat intelligence deeds, or if you've got custom created detection rules as you say again it's not as simple as just dishing them out to the different vendors because they will speak different languages so one thing that we're working on and you know we're jumping on this this llm bandwagon which is was fantastic it's a really exciting project actually um is uh, in part asset inventory so first of all is taking inventory of your customers assets their servers as, as i say get an understanding of of, of their uh, technology stack know what language those those devices endpoints whatever you want to call them they, they speak at a high level um, and then when we have our out-of-box created rules or custom rules we can say this industry so let's say finance industry um, with cisco devices we've then got a folder or a pool of uh, custom created rules and using llm we can say here is the coded rules in in yara uh, translate them to uh, I don't know. What, give, give me a language, John. What, what are we using? Chronicle. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. You could translate it to like Yara Altair and KQL. KQL, yeah, yeah, for, for Azure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, exactly. So uh, again, we're like the Microsoft suite of products. It's, it's KQL, custom query language. But if we're using uh, another tool, which is using um, Yara, you use LLM, and that could greatly increase that. And that can all be automated. You know, it could, it could be a nice pretty dashboard, press, press a couple of buttons and, you know, that can be pushed out to that. So it's yeah. really powerful. Do you know what I think is like going to be a real powerful feature of LLM is the natural language, language aspect of it. Because someone who's really intelligent could probably already write a code script right now that takes a, um, you know, a query in one language and, tran- and you know, gets at least some way into translating it, right, into into other languages. But I think what the power of an LLM is going to be is it could take, like, a news story, for example, or a threat intelligence feed story and say, you know, look at it and say, okay, here's the, you know, here's the new exploit with some description in, in lang- natural language of what it does. Hopefully even a link that the agent would be able to follow to go and get the, the technical details of that new exploit or new vulnerability and then from that, generate a query that could be with an API pushed out into a tool and ran immediately. So, so there's, I just don't think at the minute without LLMs, there's just no way you could code that because you can't take natural language to code, right? So I think that's the gap that the LLMs are going to potentially bridge there. It's interesting, actually. You're talking about going away and, and the LLM looking at an article or a write-up or a, or a proof of concept. I think if you combine an LLM with the likes of of the MITRE ATT&CK framework, that again could be a really powerful combination because 
uh, if people start to write their um, articles or blogs and reference the different TTPs and I, the IDs for the TTPs from the framework, an LLM could, you know, that, that's, that's a piece of information that it could take out of that 2000 word blog. And at the end of it, it's just got a list of um, IDs, TTPs. But then again, it will know that it will recognize that they are MITRE TTPs. So if it's if it's got that information um, pushed into it as it's been learning, it can say, OK, I've seen this TTP. It's related to this behavior. These are the things you can threat hunt for. These are some IOCs that we know of, some well-known, sophisticated threat groups. And it spits that out in a nice report. And, and then that's when the next stage we were saying earlier that the analyst would then need to know what to do with that. OK, so we've got this information. I'm going to go and threat hunt that. I think that the, yeah. the the long-term feature of that would be a button to say, you go and threat hunt that and tell me what you find. And that, yeah. that would be uh, the best option, wouldn't it? I don't think it's too far away, you know? Like, I see these, um, I see tools being released all the time. I think there's one just a week or two ago called Gorilla or something. And it's basically an LLM alongside some agent functionality that basically has, has learned how to use APIs. So it can start to learn to use tools, and so once you, you know, once something like that is um, is working, you know, effectively, reliably, you can have something that is connected to threat intelligence feeds, and something that's also connected via API to your, you know, your tools. Obviously, with restricted accesses, right? Because you don't want them just doing whatever they want. But but there's nothing stopping it from taking. A, a news story or, you know, like a CV register, taking it, tra- trans, um, you know, translating it into code and then pushing it via API into your tool, carrying out a search and then retrieving the results from that and just generating a report. I think that's, um, I think we're not far away from that even now. I think, you know, probably months away. Yeah, definitely. And I think the reporting element of what as well is, is a big, is a big part of a SOC, you know, uh, whether you're a technical or not, from a customer's point of view, they would like a report, be that weekly, monthly, bi-monthly, and that's going to be a, an overview of what we've seen or what we've dealt with in the SOC, um, maybe things that are going on in the wild that could be related and we may be affected by. And again, you could just say that in, in two sentences. You go to ChatGPT, say, write me a report on XYZ for a company in this industry. There it is. You know, within 60 seconds, you've got it. And obviously that that's working on on public data and as, as you're saying you don't, you don't want to spit out company data out into into the wild so if you had a contained environment where it's only learning on that that business that's even better because it's only knowledge it's only knowledge is that that bubble if you like so those reports are only ever going to be uh, a boutique or custom to that data yeah i think that's that's going to be the next step isn't it in this whole LLM journey is um companies basically fine-tuning and, and building their own models because the way I like to think about um, like stuff like ChatGPT at the minute is like I say it's kind of it's been trained on all the data it can get on the web so it can get obviously it understands language for that reason you can ask it questions and it's probably and it will have awareness of cyber security principles because it's been exposed to some of that on the internet but um but it's not being specially trained on that, you know. It's trained on everything. And I think if you can, I think it would, it probably won't be too far until somebody trains a cyber-specific LLM that's been trained on, you know, specifically 
cybersecurity principles, CVEs, exploits, you know, attacks seen in the world, all, the, all this kind of data, and you'll be able to ask it a question. It'll make a lot more sense. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I, I think we've, we've uh, especially in these early stages of LLM, is we have to be careful specifically with uh, open source and freely accessible tools. Um, I don't want to say chat GPT because a lot of the others are the same, but if you, if you look at Twitter recently and how they're censoring and on some posts, you now see an additional thing underneath saying, you know, this piece of information is incorrect. Here's actually what happened. It's, it's similar with these LLMs, you know, it's just looking at everything that's been put on there. So if I went, I've seen people do, do um, posts about this. They say, you know, I've sat and I've told chat GPT that Santa Claus wore a purple uh, suit and he had wolves instead of reindeers you know something something silly like that and it would say first no that's not correct this is what it is but then he keeps saying it actually no you're wrong it's this and then they have a little bit of a debate and then half an hour later the ai or the llms learn actually okay fair enough i'll just listen to what you're saying and if everyone did that or you know a large proportion of people did that there's no censorship with that so if we're talking about an open source tool where everyone's just throwing whatever information at it you know, at what point does that become a bit of a nuisance for you know professionals? Not as you say, not just in our industry, in any industry. You know, medical professionals. Someone asks a question about a quite complex operation in a hospital, and it says, "Oh no, you don't. You don't need to use this scalpel. You need to use this syringe because someone else told me to." And you know, it's yeah. <laughs> it's like, I think in data science they call it like bad data in, bad data out. Yes, or exactly. you know, Because it's like it, yeah, because the machine learning algorithm will will believe what it's told. So. It's not, it's not, it can un- learn to understand, but it's not like a magical entity where it will, it will realize that pe- what some people are saying are wrong. It's like if everyone's saying that but, and the data that it's trained from. But I think, you know, one of the ways to get around that is, and not, do you know the difference between like zero shot and few shot requests? If not, I'll just quickly. So when you ask a question of, um, of one of these large language models, you can, let's say if, I wanted to use XOR to say, um, is this email spam, right? You can say, is this email spam? And you can push an email, like a, a body or a header or something. And it will it will give you an answer. It's probably not going to be, you know, it will probably be a guess <laughs> from the point of view of the LLM. But that's, that's zero shot because you're just asking the question without any kind of prior information. So few shot is kind of where you can say, here's 10 examples of, emails that are spam and then maybe here's 10 examples of emails that aren't spam and now i want you to tell me if this email is spam and if you think about that uh, it makes a lot of sense that it really improves the output for one thing but it also means that it gives the llm something to look on as almost like a source of truth whereas you know because it could be fed all this bad data during its initial training but if you're saying, well, actually, I'm telling you now that this is this is the real world, right? It, it makes a lot of sense when you think about how you would approach this with a human as well. Because let's say we had an, uh, an analyst come in who it was their first day on the job and they had no prior knowledge of cyber. And you just said to them, you know, is that a malicious email? They would make a guess, right? But if you said to them, here's 10 emails that are bad and here's 10 emails that are good, even if they don't know anything about cyber, everyone's got some like pattern recognition capability, right? So they could look at the 10 bad ones, 10 good ones and say, this one looks like one of those. So, so that's kind of, that's what few shot is where it's, 
you haven't fine-tuned a model, so you haven't taken a model and really trained it intensively on your information, but in that one request, you're giving it the, um, you know, like a bit of a training in, you know, and every time you ask for the question, you can say, here's 10 examples of the thing I'm asking you. Yeah. Um, And you can also use that as well to kind of train it, what output you want it to give you. Because, you know, sometimes it will just start coming out with like 10 sentences of like a real essay about the email that you've asked. But but these, you know, these uh, requests, they're not free. And the, the larger that context that you push in, the more information you push in, the more it costs. And the more information it gives you back, the more it costs as well. So if it starts giving you big essays uh, as a response, you're like, all I want is a yes or no answer, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when you're doing that few shot kind of examples, you can give it an example of, the input you're going to give it, but also the example of the output. So you in the in those examples, you'd just say yes or no, or malicious or spam, because you want that response to be as short as possible, right? Yeah. Or or if you're using a playbook to, to grab that answer, you want it in a predictable format because you want to know what you're going to grab. Yeah, Does that make yeah, sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a good example of that sort of learning. Uh, in, in Microsoft Azure, I know, John, you all know we talk about this quite a lot, is the UEBA engine, the machine learning capability, which is uh, user entity behavior analytics. Um, and that has a grace period or a learning period of 30 days from when you turn it on. And the, the reason for that is it's detecting anomalous, tra- uh, anomalous activity. So let's say um, the CEO of a company, he goes on holiday to his villa in Spain once a month, but 99% of the time he's working from the office in London. Um, this this behaviour becomes um, an anomaly in a sense because if it's if it's a thirty day period and the machine learning or the AI the LLM well not in this case LLM but the AI realises that they're in London ninety nine percent of the time and this one time they go to Spain okay we're gonna we're gonna flag that up but then the first time that we say actually this is a false positive because we know that's that's their their travel plans it learns from that. So, you know, I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier with, with the bubble. And I think that would be the way, as you say, John, that we go forward is it will be specific LLMs in a bubble for that conglomerate of organizations. Um, and I think changing changing topic a little bit and going into sort of the threat intelligence area, um, although you may have businesses in multiple different sectors, um, if you've got, let's say, lots of businesses in the finance industry, using that example again, and you've got intelligence of a new banking Trojan, yes, you can learn uh, or you can use the LLM or the, or the agents on one specific customer, but because you've got a bunch of different customers in the same industry that are mi- likely to be affected by that, you know, there's, there's that element of sharing intelligence there. And I guess if we was to go full loop, going back to, to the, the translation, if you've got the asset inventory, you know what language is spoken by the, the systems on that estate or on that estate, couple of clicks button, couple of one shot questions, as you say, John, and you can deploy the intelligence to those different businesses for, for the same Trojan. So it all, it all wraps up quite nicely. Yeah. I think that I can imagine uh, this situation where you don't have, if you thought, start talking about, you know, how socks can deploy LLMs in these agents, I, I can see a situation where you don't just have one, like, you know, your, your sock won't have an LLM that's been trained on everything and you can just ask it anything. You, there's nothing stopping you from having many of these that are trained specifically on smaller domains, like say one customer or one tool set. You know, you can have an LLM that, that's kind of that you train to become specialized in the Microsoft security stack, for example, even though they're building their own. But 
Um, you know, I, I just don't think there's no, there's nothing really stopping you from just hosting multiple of these of these small, smaller specialized AIs that have been trained on very small. Yeah, you know domains. Yeah, they're just, yeah. They're, just they're just listening posts, really. At the end of the day, yeah, you, you stick them out in the network or on the estate, and they just sit and watch and they learn from it, and then they learn further when someone like we come along and, and, and ask a question, and um, you know we'll say uh, another humorous thing that you see is people starting to say thank you when they get responses back because they're worried that the AI is going to take over. Yeah. So you know you, you say, <laughs> can, can you tell me about this this exploit, and it gives you an answer, and you say thank you very much, you know. 20 years time it's not going to attack you because you've been nice to it but, <laughs> yeah so you, you know you said at the beginning when i asked have you started to use it and you did mention that the um you know saw platforms have got these integrations in are you are you using xor and or are you using a different saw tool I just wondered. We, we're using streamlane yeah but uh what what we are seeing is um now you know traditionally the source was just playbook you got to design them. And I think the newer versions are going to have, they have some sort of AI built in. But what's happening, it's they are bringing in hyper automation into the SOAR platform. So what's going to happen in the future is uh, you'll be seeing your automation engine. You may have bots probably suggesting how you're going to automate uh, newer repetitive tasks because what's happening today is we, we have to manually study the type of noise that comes in, uh, go through some engineering work, understand the playbooks and see how we fine tune. But the future is, it's what's going to change is I think the saw tool is going to recommend what we can automate or what playbooks we can fine tune uh, because the AI engine will study the repetitive tasks coming in because you may have a new alert which is going to churn out new type of noise and you know, I see that in the future. I think that's going to make a lot of difference. Uh, yeah, that'll be really interesting because you've already got, like, say, this machine learning element going on in the endpoint tool and the network tool. So, that, like you say, Sean, seeing what's normal and then detecting anomalies. But if that if that starts to get pushed into the saw, because you know, saw kind of wraps around all your tools combined, doesn't it? If that kind of machine learning starts to wrap around that, that would be good. that will get very yeah. interesting. I, I think very there's quickly. a lot more to it than just the technical side of things. You know, there's also the mundane tasks of a SOC analyst day to day. One thing that came to mind is originally, if you were, especially if you were a developer, you would need to learn different coding languages. You know, you could sit around around a table and say, "What languages do you know?" And it'd be like C, C plus or Yara, you know, going back to what we talked about. And some people know tens, hundreds, you know, the, the best coders know lots of languages, Python, whatever. Now, an analyst technically wouldn't need to know how to code in those languages as long as they know, as, as John was saying, the natural language of what they want to achieve. You know, so you can say, write me a script in X, Python, C Sharp, whatever, yeah. to achieve this goal. And, you know, it will come back with something, you know, in my experience, they don't usually work, Close. <laughs> Close. but it gives you the yeah. template, you know, and you can fill yeah. the gaps. So, you know, in, in five, 10 years time, that will be, that will work. And it, you, you wouldn't need to learn how to code because you need to know enough. I think you still need to know enough to know how to debug it yes, and fix yeah. it. Yeah. 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 But, but you don't, but it takes, it saves time. I think is because you don't have to sit there and write that code from scratch. You could be like, give me something that's close enough and then I can just go and. But, change the bits that don't work even with the debugging stage you know 
going back to what I was saying is whenever someone asks what I do for a job and I say I work in cybersecurity, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but they'll always say, oh, you must be brilliant at coding or scripting. And actually, I mean, I can, but it's not, it's not my expertise. And even when it comes to troubleshooting, you know, you can go back with, uh, I ran the command you gave me, it errored on line 42, this is the error output it gave me. And, you know, I mean, even me and you, John, have seen it recently where it comes back, sorry, yep, you are correct, try this instead. And it, you yeah. can just keep doing that and eventually it will work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people have been using these, um, like, chaining tools. So that's chaining, not training. <laughs> where they kind of like chain these prompts together and there's almost like a feedback where it will ask and then it will ask it to critique its own output, right? Because like you say, you know, if you, you ask it a question, it'll give you an output and then you say, that's not right. It'll, it'll think about it again and, and kind of like that. There's some frameworks out there. I think one of them I was trying to look at, it's called Langchain, where it does this kind of thing where you can start chaining prompts and answers. Um, and, and as I was looking at it, I was realizing We've almost got this built-in thing because of the SOAR platform and playbooks. We can do that ourselves. We can make those chains without, without having to use that framework. So that's kind of, um, I think, a, a big advantage that we've got with, with the fact that we've got access to these SOAR tools is that we can start to build these. I think the playbook ends up working like an agent, like an, um, an AI agent, where it can chain these prompts together. And like you say, you can ask it, hey, you know, develop me this detection um, I, want this, I want this detection rule and then the next you know you can take the output and then the next um, task in the playbook can say tell me why this is wrong tell me where, where this is wrong you know yeah. and it will critique its own answer yeah so, and I, yeah. I know more at the, the senior or auditing level of a SOC we're looking more at the, the statistics and how it could be more efficient you know just make it generally easier for an analyst and if you say, okay, this, this rule has detected 10 detections of this specific activity. However, our threat hunts has detected a further five. Um, and you tell it, you know, these, these are what happened in those pro, uh, yeah, the proactive findings. Next time round, can you edit or amend the rule so that it would detect those? And it's, it just means that you just become bigger and stronger and stronger. Obviously, the yeah. caveat to that is new zero days and exploits are doing new things. But that's how it just becomes this evolving cycle when you get a, an arsenal of, of, of rules. Um, and you just say, you know, yes, over the past year, you detected this. However, on this month, this CVE came out. This is the new activity. Add that to your rule. Dish it out to all of the different systems. And, and it, it's literally as simple as that because, as you say, it's, it's natural language. And in the background, it will go and do all the rest. And you hook that into the playbook and it will go away and do all the rest. And, and yeah. that's what's really exciting. What you said there is, is the main thing that I'm, I'm kind of thinking of where, where the value of this lies at the minute. And that's like, say, saving time, right, for the, for the analysts. Because it's not at a point where, where you can just tell it to go and do its thing and it's going to run off and, and become like a great AI that's just that's doing the job of an analyst for you. But, all, you know, we've, I think we've saw you can start chaining these things together. I think you can, you can really start saving a lot of time with mundane tasks, anything where data needs to be kind of like small pieces of data, you're like, tell me what, you know, if, especially if it's unpassed or unstructured, normally you need an analyst to sit and read through it to get a piece of information. If you can say, give me this piece of information, it's just going to, like, it, it only 
a task only needs to save an analyst 10 seconds and you start pushing all the stacking all those up and that, i think that's where the real value of this is is gonna is gonna come from because it's so cheap especially if you keep the context low yeah hey, there's something interesting you mentioned john just now about non-pass data yeah i'm not I'm not sure how AI is going to solve that problem because there's always a new tool, a new asset. You need to pass the data to 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 make it understandable or getting the right context of information into a seam or any type. Of so, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give you an example of I think. So we had to write, try and write a script that would extract links, right? If we give it a, a bunch of like email body data, for example extract the link because they think it's not always in the same format. Like sometimes www.dart, sometimes HTTP. Um, you never know if it's going to be .com or .uk you know, or, or anything like that. So we wrote a regular expression script, uh, a regular expression to actually detect and, and put it out. If we did this again now, because this is like some time ago that we wrote that, I would I just, I just use one of these LLM tasks to say, Here's a you know here's a piece of text. Tell me what, what you know which of these words is a link to a website. You know is it is an internet link? That would have just been so much quicker to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, if we're talking about like firewall logs um, or, or network traffic logs, they have a an ID or categorization. If we talk about Cisco, um, Cisco ASA. They have IDs to say like connection was successful, connection closed, connection blocked. You know all those different types. And within, we're talking about unpars logs. So let's say those raw Cisco logs are flowing flowing through into a seam or a saw. I think because I'm shooting myself in the foot here. If we're talking about an internal bubble of, of information and knowledge, you you would need to feed in some. Uh, resource from the vendor again Cisco if we're talking about the open source one like ChatGPT that you know you're free to use right now if you wanted to because it's piped into the internet it can go away and it will say okay this ID is equivalent to a connection open connection drop whatnot yeah if you're talking about the enclosed one like, like I say you would need some element of you know even if it's the documentation you upload the documentation into a, into a file share and the LM has access to that and it you know, whatever it goes through and it finds that um so yeah i guess that there could be there could be an issue there you're always going to need to update it as, as you know let's say next week there is a new business and their offering is uh a fim tool file integrity management tool or, or a new edr tool you know we know that the cyber industry is so busy at the moment there's new businesses popping up every week and they have a unique selling point the, the LLM the LLM may not know or will not know that because it's new but one of our new customers might be you know one of their one of the first people to be using this tool and and we're going to be receiving logs from those tools so you know that it's that capacity to keep up to date with, with the new types of logging um, the structure of a log so you know a timestamp an ID the description and then everything else that follows so I think as long as the LLM can do exactly that you know break the log down, it may not necessarily need to understand what specific IDs are, but it's certainly going to need to be trained on on um, the technicalities, if you like. So, yeah. So now I think to Sean and John, we've been talking about detecting. So what do you think how the threat actors will be using LLM and 
Yeah, uh, that's the yeah. Because yeah, I was trying to imagine at some point, like you know, what is the future of of cybersecurity? <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what, I had this in, this like thought in my head where we obviously are using AI already on the defense side, okay? And and I know there's some worries that an attacker will use these large language models, especially when more powerful ones are released. Like, I think Gemini, Google are releasing theirs later on this year. It's supposed to be about 10 times more powerful than GPT-4. How long is it? I know they do a lot of work with alignment, but how long is it until someone can say, um, hey, you know, write me a virus that self-propagates, self-spreads, and it's very difficult to, to, you know, to stop. And it just means that anybody has access to this ultimate virus creation kit. And I know they're trying to do a lot of work to stop people from being able to do that. But people find like back doors and, you know, they can they can crack the LLMs to give them responses that they're not supposed to give them. I know people have done that online. So that's one concern, isn't it? Is is these super viruses that are going to get like a zero day every day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's that's one thing I can see happening. Yeah. And then yeah. the other one, the other one I can see happening is um, somebody uses reinforce because I know at the minute you can already script like an attack. You know, like uh, you've got these vulnerability assessment tools, and they'll run through a script and they'll just they'll go and scan everything and they'll get the responses and tell you where your vulnerabilities are and try and exploit them automatically. That I think that's that already exists as a script, but I think. What I can see happening is somebody uses reinforcement learning and almost treats it like a game so they can create an environment, tell this agent to try and hack into a, you know, get get me this information or something like that. And it would attempt a bunch of stuff using these scripts that already exist. And if it succeeds in an objective, it gets a reward function. And if the blue team detect that activity, it gets, you know, cost function so it it learns how to exploit and move around without triggering these EDR tools I think that I think that's something that we can see happening at some point I think that's a really good point actually John Um, one thing I've I've been involved in quite a bit this year is helping the businesses with their security posture sitting around a table doing sort of cyber war game style learning Um, and some of the feedback has been it was the same as last year and it was the same as the year before. So, you know, th- as you say, they've got out of box scripts that you, know, you just plug in, press play and off yeah. you go, you know, they're scanning for, for RDP port or, you know, just, just any exposure like that. But actually, why don't you just then use an LLM and say, we've done all of that. What else yeah. can I do? And give it that extra information of, of the industry and the tools. It won't just be LLM though, will it? It'll be that it'll be LLM combined with, you know, like AlphaGo or something where these agents learn yes, to play yeah. games. If you can if you can express hacking into a network as a game with, you know, objectives and, and fail states, then I think it will learn to yeah. Yeah. I, I think going back to, to the, the threat actor side, we're talking about, you know, threat groups, but it's just become a heck of a lot easier to be a script kiddie now. Because oh, yeah. it is as simple as going and asking the question, you know. I want to hack Minecraft. And it will say, that's a very vague question. How would you like to hack Minecraft? It will probably tell you first of all, it's not ethical, (laughs) not allowed. 
Yes. If yeah, you yeah. Get, if you but get as around you say, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as you say, some some people put like you know, um, it, it's for a project at university, and I've got I've got sign off to do this that, or or it's in a controlled environment in a virtual machine. It's like okay, there yeah. you go, take that, do what so, you want with it. So it's like um, it's like so, getting yeah. cheat codes for games, but you know, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> what do you think our role is um, in the future, where you have these agents that have been you know, they've gone through reinforcement learning to learn how to hack. The only way, because it's going to be so fast and so automated, we'd have to deploy agents of our own, right, on, on our side to, to automatically, which we kind of got anyway with these yeah, tools, I was right? Say, but they need to learn to react yeah. in real time. But it's, it's, I don't think it's, any, it's, it's no different from today, is it? it yeah. It's always cat and mouse. You know, we are always playing catch up. And, you know, the easiest example of that is CVEs and zero days. You know, tomorrow morning, a new CVE, CVE or zero days come out for okay, Cisco ASA. We'll just keep using that one, um, as they so often do. Um, and we've got to very quickly learn that and, and deploy the, the detection capability, remediation, and then provide recommendation and advice to the customer. Yeah. But uh, with a zero same, day every day. Yeah, it's, it's you need, yeah, exactly. You need, yeah. Uh, you need that. You need to have it on your side as well, where like you, like we said earlier on, it will take the information from that zero day that's been released. You know what? It probably even need to rely on it not being published because it'd be too late. It would that, need to yeah. see it happening in real life, live, and it would need to be able to dissect what had happened. Yes. So, you know, basically, re- maybe recreate the zero day itself and then take the actions that are needed to protect against it going forward well, immediately. This, yeah, this yeah. is it, because it would need to be a near real-time scheduled check, you know, as you say. And, I mean, if we're at the point where we know tomorrow morning there's a zero day, there will be some, I know it will be minimal to start with, but there will be some information of what it is. You know, it's a remote code execution on on, on this system. And it might say via a broken whatever or... Um, a vulnerability within the script a buffer overflow it doesn't give the technicalities but then if if you've got it configured it could then go away and try those you know attempts and it may find an indication or it may find the whole, the main hole um but i guess yeah as you say it's it's time to respond you know it comes out at nine o'clock there's a proof of concept by 10 uh, half past nine it's all over twitter and everyone's saying oh i've already done it and, and this is how i did it the, be- the best thing with llm and, and ai it's it's rapid it's super quick so that information is already there and it will already be within within its head within, within the uh, ether so you know it's it's making the use of that data it's just always going back to you have that knowledge you have that data we're the ones talking to the llm or the ai it's how we tell it to go away and, and do what we do you do. think it will just be battle of the ais though it might end up, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I can see yeah. that, yes. Yeah. 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 It's exactly that concept, isn't it? You know, the, the, the a new pot comes out for a CVE, all the kiddies are on there, script kiddies go on there and, and are trialing it. They get the code because they've asked for it from ChatGPT and they just go and start trying to exploit it. On the other side of the fence, we've seen it come out. We're trying to get the same code. We can then deploy detection capabilities or blocking mechanism. It's it's just it's, right. it's like battleships. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just battleships. It's just yeah. going to happen quicker. It's happening now. Yes, we do yeah, it today, but just take a long time. It's just going to happen quicker in the future. Yeah. Well, yep. When when we were um, you know in the weeks we were running up to this podcast, 
there was a, a quote that I saw that I wanted to remember for this podcast. And I think it was the, the CEO of Anthropic, one of these uh, huge language model companies. And he said, um, the, the main thing you need to know about AI is it's, is it's moving faster than you think it is. Because I think, you know, we only see like these developed tools that come out that are released. Um, I think underneath the surface, this thing is moving really fast. So it's like, so the question I had then is, what do we do now? Because, you know, there's, we talked about some of the use cases of saving time and, and you know, making detection rules and, and helping to, to deobfuscate code and stuff like that. But I think it's months or a few, or, or few years until this has a major impact. So I, I, for me, I was like, what can we do about it now? And I think the, the answer I could come up with is, you know, when, we, when we're closing the incidents down and where we kind of tap, give the, the saw tool a reason, we write closed notes, don't we? Like, it's a, is it a false positive or is it a real incident and why? I think, like, one of the things we can be doing now is making sure that they are very detailed because uh, that, because I think potentially that's going to be your training data in, in, you know, six months' time when everyone's got access to a model that you can train yourself. You can push, if you've had a 1,000 incidents or 10,000 incidents with all of the metadata that came in and then your verdict on it, that's going to be what the model can learn from. Uh, and I think if you've, if you've given it, like you say, if you put bad data in, you get bad data out. So, you know... We're, we're almost cyborgs in a way. I know it's funny to say, but I mean, the, the, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, but the definition of a cyborg is, you know, a fictional or hypothetical person with some kind of mechanical attachment. Mm. You know, we've all got phones, you know, we are the cyborgs. And on that phone, you can go onto Google and go on, onto ChatGPT. So, you know, I know when AI and LLM started to take off, it was all over mainstream media. It's still on the news now. People worried that the robots are going to take over. Obviously, that's not not going to happen. But what is going to happen is the same way social media and doom scrolling is a thing on your mobile phone. People that do the same, but with with AI and LLM, it's there. It's right at the end of your hand, and you can be and do whatever you want. All we need is uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink, and then and then uh, and then we will be the LLM in your head, and then we will be cyborgs. (laughs) (laughs) Still waiting for flying cars, though. Um, I think that's just released. Yeah. So an- another thought process, I think how um, LLM is going to help the SOC is, I think, building up the talent pool capability. I think, you know, getting fresh graduates coming into the SOC or, you know, uh, people who just, you know, it takes at least, uh, I mean, based on experience for them to be able to handle a full-scale incident end-to-end. For us here, I would say it's probably between six to 12 months for them to, you know, get used to the type of alerts, you know, understanding false positive, true positive alerts, you know, uh, how deeper. I think LLM is going to help how fast an analyst can train themselves, yeah, because of the the type of queries they can do. It's like asking a question with a senior analyst, hey, can you let me know what can what does this alert mean, for example? And I think that that would help uh, with this challenge that we have today in SecOps. Oh, yeah. It's it's interesting you say that. No, Sorry, John. I was just saying, it's interesting you say that with the the, the concept of a, a virtual senior analyst, because I I I 
would actively believe that it's made my role easier because there's probably points where overnight where I'm in bed, but the analyst on shifts working, something's come in. Two years ago, it would have been easier to, to request backup and escalate to myself, wake me up. But now, as you say, they can just go on to the, these LLMs and ask the question. And as long as they know how to utilize them, which I know for the most part they do, you know, it's, it's saved, saved me some beauty sleep at the end of the day. So, you know, it, it's, it's definitely beneficial. And as you say, I think going forward as a training capability, yes. And I think that that gap of do you need to go to college and, and do software development, then go to university and get a degree in cybersecurity or forensics? And in theory, no, because the information is there as long as you know how to. And it's just going back to what I keep saying, as long as you know how to utilize it's, it's the most. That's the most valuable use case I've found for these LLMs so far. It's almost like a private tutor because let's say I'm, I'm reading, uh, I'm trying to learn a new thing and I'll, I'll, I'll reach a point in, in what I'm reading where I'm like, I don't get that. I just don't understand that. Um, you can go to the LLM and ask, you to, ask it to explain it to you. And if, it, and if it explains it to you and you still don't understand, you go, explain it to me in a different way, right? Or, or I'm going to take a step back and explain it to me like I'm five. Okay, now, okay, now I, I, st- I get most of it, but I still don't get that bit. So hone in on that bit. Explain that to me. It's like having your private one-to-one tutor, which you just can't get normally. Because normally, if you, if you, if you reach a concept that you're struggling with, it's like you've got to go and find some other resource that, that explains it maybe a little bit differently. Whereas more and more, I'm finding if I get stuck on something that I'm learning, I just go and ha- start having a conversation with, the, with, the, with GPT um, until, until I understand it. And yeah, sorry, and, no, I was going to say we, we, we're talking about uh, junior analysts and you know graduates and whatnot. As John's saying, I, I don't think there's anyone in cyber that will ever know everything because it evolves so much and there's always yeah. new things. So you know, even myself and John, you know, the, the top top tech people will always be using that and relying on it in some degree. I, I was just going to follow that up with saying, you know like you say about getting called out or, or Ramesh, like you say, how long does it take an analyst to be ready to you know, be on shift on their own kind of thing? I think one thing you can do is have all of your processes defined and written up in a document. And then you can, you know, you don't even need to fine tune the model. You can just, you can point, you know, you, you've seen these on the online where you can, like, you can ask questions about a PDF and it basically tokenizes the PDF and you can ask questions about it. You could have that. If you can have all your processes clearly defined, so a new analyst who, you know, they might already know how to use the tools, but they don't necessarily know how you work as a company yet. Rather than having to ask the senior analyst or, or the manager every time, you can have that agent just sitting there waiting. So you say, oh, you know, what do I do if I want to tune something, you know? And then it will just come and tell you the answer. Say, oh, here's the process. You need to, first you need to request the permission. Then you need to record the change, you know, the change request. All this kind of thing. I was going to say, because we'll also have our own yeah. knowledge base. You know, we've, we've got wiki pages, et cetera, where analysts constantly add information that is good for, for each customer. So, you know, pile that in with, with LLM and a new analyst. They've got everything they need to get started right there without ever having to talk yeah. to me or John. Yeah. Which yeah. is great. <laughs> you know, using uh, natural queries for knowledge base. Yeah. Internal knowledge base yeah. makes a lot of difference here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah because you can already have a knowledge base and you can search for keywords, right? But it's, it's, it's kind of limited because if you don't hit that exact keyword, 
you're not going to find the thing you're looking for unless you look for it manually, which if it's a huge knowledge base, you know, good luck. But Yes, yeah. It goes back to what I was saying right at the start. You know, there, there's someone at a business that they, they go away once a month. A new analyst doesn't know that. Usually they would consult the knowledge base or, or first they would get the incident to say X is in Spain. Um, it looks like, you know, it's suspicious login, it's MFA, whatever. It's in the knowledge base. But as John says, you know, if it's, if it's a lot of information, instead of a wiki page or SharePoint or a big Word document, you just have, like ChatGPT, you just have the chat box. You just say, I've seen this user, they're there, it will know what time of month it is. Yes, this is normal, we saw this last month, we saw it the month before, I think this is normal activity for that person. And, you know, that's really simple. Yeah. Again, it's a time saver, right? Because it's possible to do anyway. Now, most, I think most of these things that you can do with LLMs are possible already. It's just that they could take a lot longer, <laughs> you know. So obviously, some some of the use cases aren't possible, but you know, a lot of them you just you can do it, but much much slower. Um, Sean and John, how do you think AI, maybe AI or LLM, would be used for deception? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you know what, like they, you know, they always say that it's the human that's the weakest link, right? You know, most of the time, if you get compromises because somebody's done something they shouldn't have. And with these human level chatbots, I you know, yeah, that is definitely a risk that you could become ultimate social engineers. Because yeah, there's nothing stopping an AI going out and looking at somebody's all their social media. You know, you're not gonna have someone's not gonna have time to do this for a thousand people, but an AI can go out and look at somebody's all their social media posts, everything, yeah. get all their interests. And then craft the perfect, yeah, yeah, get their friends list. And then you can start crafting the perfect social engineering email. Where if you look at these phishing emails now, most of them are just absolute. It's like, come on, who, who's falling for that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw a really, really spooky concept the other day. It was a spearfish. And it's exactly that. They went onto the LinkedIn. They found an old colleague from a business that they worked at 20 years ago. And it was a very simple email, you know, reaching out, hi, it's so-and-so, we work together, blah, blah, blah. And it, and it was it was a financial one, you know, eventually the conversation went on. And it was a long conversation, you know, it was back and forth emails, how are you, how are the kids, all the information that it's got from, from, from LinkedIn and from social media, um, eventually culminating in, um, I think it was like, my, my wife's just passed away, I'm financially short of money. Let's, let's chat and you know there's a phone yeah. number at the end it, it all culminates in, in a financial scam but you know as, as john's saying normally it's just you've won a voucher you know congratulations yeah. you've got an ipad you know they're really really simple things but if you were to receive an email from a long lost friend from you went to school with tomorrow morning and the email was telling you things that you'd forgotten about but it's found on social media you know especially these ai and G, uh, the llms that are able to to look at pictures as well you know, we were at this location on this date with my dog. You're like, oh, pff, okay, that's that's scary. That's very scary. Yeah. How far are we from every single phishing campaign that comes out is every Custom. email is <laughs> bespoke, customized to that one user and all their interests and all their contacts rather than just a blanket, you know, click this link, otherwise we're going to charge you a thousand pounds. It's like, that's that's that becomes... Yeah. Difficult then, and if, right? If, 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 it's, yeah. if we're talking about you know real sophistication, it will not be sent from some random DGA domain or some well-known 
blacklisted IP, they will go on Gmail, they will create a new account for your long lost friend, and it will look as clean as anything. There will be no hits on on any virus, total, yeah. you know, whatever. It's not yeah. worth thinking about. <laughs> Difficult. Difficult, no, but that, but that's when you really, uh, that's when you need that that other AI on your side. I don't even I don't know how you, you detect can. it. Oh, that's, to um, be honest, no. Yeah, that's that, that's where the human times. element comes in, isn't it? You know, if you get to the end of that conversation and they're starting to ask for for help financially. You know what, Sean? I reckon I reckon you'll be seeing that sort of thing in the news fairly soon. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'll be the one that gets fished. <laughs> yeah, it, it's surely going to be a yeah. High yeah. profile case, you know. But that, that deception point is a really good point, Ramesh. I think uh, they, you know, they might even be better at it than we are, because I know, yeah, there was a thing recently about like um, there's a medical LLM, and it scored higher in the ability to diagnose illnesses, right? Which is which is cool, but it's not surprising necessarily. What was surprising is that the people who used it rated it as, as having higher empathy than the doctor that they talk to in real life. So if you can start to, to fake empathy and, and stuff like that, then I think, you know, better than we can. I think the deception's not far off. Yeah. I think I heard somewhere that um, a lawyer turned up to court and all of their case work, you know, their defense or prosecution, whatever side they were on, they, they did it last minute with, with ChatGPT. And the, the judge just threw the whole thing out. You yeah, just go yeah. and do your job because that, that will be the problem is, is lazy people will well, also try and use it. The cases that that lawyer cited didn't exist. And that's that's the problem with the hallucinations is he just accepted the output as, as truth <laughs> and it didn't exist. So he was like referencing see, yeah. these previous cases that just never happened. So, yeah, yeah, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we're pretty much at the end of our time. Yeah, really yeah. enjoyed that. That's been really interesting. Thanks, guys. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, John and Sean. It was really great talking to you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. And a big thank you to Ramesh, Sean and John for providing insight into AI and large language models. We look forward to bringing you more episodes with cyber experts. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on Twitter and LinkedIn for further updates. We'll be posting highlight clips from this episode. This podcast was brought to you by Crest an international not-for-profit membership body representing the global cybersecurity industry.